0: Last week, we began the new series entitled Learning from the Questions of Jesus, just focusing on questions that he asked at key moments and how that plays out in our lives today. Last week, we looked at who do you say that I am and that that important question that every one of us has. It's not just who we hear Jesus is and we learn the stories and and. The the theology and all of that is great, but who do you say that he is? That's the bottom line for each of us to answer. And then today, we are looking at this question Jesus asked after he performed this miracle on a boat with the disciples. Why are you so afraid? In 1 John chapter 4 is one of the the go-to verses that I have for my, for my own life, and I know that I, I share it frequently from here, but it always bears repeating. It simply says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made, com- not made perfect or complete in love. There is no fear in love. It's one of those principles, teachings from the Bible that right here, it's easy to look at that and say, yeah, that's true. That's good. That's right. And I, I want to I embrace that. I, I want to live that out where, where, where love overwhelms whatever fears come my way. And for a time, I think that I'm able to, to accomplish that more often than not. But then another storm shows up. And, and the old fears that I've experienced before from the old storms and past storms in my life begin to to coalesce in my heart and attack it. And and there's the wind and the lightning and the waves, and and, and it just feels so tumultuous within. And then all of a sudden, there is no fear, and love begins to fade into the background, and, and, and love seems like a distant shore that I can't get to. And fear wins the day. Why? are you so afraid? Today's story comes from, as we already read from, Susan shared with us in a moment ago from Mark chapter 4. And we're going to see here today that there's another story that's similar to that. Later on in Mark, we're actually going to look at the parallel passage in in Matthew 14, which is listed on your outline. But it's another time where The disciples are on the sea, a storm comes, and something strange happens, but but Jesus is there, but we're going to contrast these two similar events. The Sea of Galilee, although a relatively small body of water, to this day can be invaded by... Patterns that will develop large waves to the point where it's dangerous for small craft on the water. Because of the topography, because of the way the the weather currents travel. And the the disciples in Jesus' day were fully aware of that, at least those that were fishermen. You had at least four of them that were very seasoned fishermen. And so they, they knew this and they knew how to prepare for it and could usually see it coming. But this was not a strange thing. Something else to keep in mind as we we look at these stories is that in the ancient world, including among the Israelites, the the ocean or the depths of the ocean, what lies way underneath the surface of the water, was thought to be the place of the dead. That's why when you read some of the Psalms, it talks about. You know, saved me from the depths. It was a fearful place, the oceans and the seas and, and, and what lies underneath. And so this was a place that now the, the fishermen would be able to overcome that fear enough to carry out their work. But what about the other disciples who weren't fishermen? What about someone like Matthew who was a tax collector? What about someone like um, you know, Simon, who was, who was a zealot? Would he, was he comfortable out there on the water? And so fear would be a companion already on the boat to some extent for those and other reasons for these men. But let's look at, first of all, the, the passage from, from Mark 4, And what you see in this passage is you see a fear of the storm, which is fairly obvious. And this was getting out of control even for these very experienced fishermen. And Jesus was on the boat. And you almost get the sense from the way it's written about here in Mark and in the the parallel passages. It's told again in, in the other Gospels that Jesus was already on the boat. It had been a busy day, and he was tired, and that was a good place to lay down. And perhaps the disciples, they had already decided to go across the water, but Jesus is already in the boat, and maybe even already asleep. And so they pushed out, and he's sleeping, and we'll just get across the boat. Jesus can get some well-needed rest. Do you know anyone in your life, maybe it's your spouse, maybe one of your children, your parents, who can sleep through anything? <laughs> That's not me. <laughs> I, can, I can awaken at the, the flutter of a moth wing. I mean, I, it's just any, anything will keep me up, and, and especially things up here. Um, but uh, I, I admire one of your former pastors named Jim Greil. Um, he's someone that can sleep anywhere. He he amazes me. We, we'd be at a family gathering and um, he, he'd be sitting over there after dinner and you know enjoying everyone and just uh, knock off real fast. And and my kids would get a kick out of it when when, when he would fall asleep like that. And um, and then my mother in law um, Pat would usually say, Jim, you know you're missing it." You know, <laughs> forgive me, Pat. <laughs> but he can, he can he can sleep very well i can't do that apparently jesus had that gift <laughs> that he could sleep as the boat on the boat at all and then the storm comes now as the storm was happening of course they're all scurrying around and and the larger the waves and the stronger the wind the more the the more intense things happen. Now if I'm on that boat and I'm not um, Peter or Andrew or James or John, the fisherman, then I'm looking to them. And if they're not panicked, then I'm feeling okay. Like, okay, this is still scary, but they seem in control. They know what they're doing. But if they looked panicked, okay, this this is bad. And that's apparently the, the level it got to, and there's Jesus still sleeping somehow in all of this. So they woke him up. Now, are they, are they angry with him? Frustrated? And, and what for what purpose are they waking him up? Is it to, look, we, this really has to be literally all hands on deck. We need your, your hands to help us out here. Or is it the expectation that he's going to do something miraculous to save us? To to help us out here somehow? We're not real clear, but they're frustrated. And what does Jesus do? He simply says, be quiet, be still. He said that to the storm. Who else was he saying that to? The men on the boat. And then he asked them this question. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They weren't ready at that time in his ministry... To, to believe that fully or to embrace the level of faith that, that, that was required to overcome the fear, that love would overcome fear in that frightening moment. And then look at the next thing. So, so they're afraid of the storm, obviously, who wouldn't be? And why are they afraid? Because they don't want to die in the water. They don't want to die anywhere. and So they're afraid. And then it turns to a fear of Jesus Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Wow. I mean, they had already seen some miracles, but it's one thing to stop or change a disease in someone's body. And and you're all kind of standing there apart from it, watching what's going on within that person. But now he's controlling the atmosphere. Now he's controlling waves and oceans. Oh. Fear. A phrase that you'll see frequently especially in Psalms and Proverbs is fear of the Lord. And there's some good teaching about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of knowledge, the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. And there is multiple words in both Hebrew and Greek for the English word fear. And when you see fear in the context of fear of God, fear of respect, in a way that we are taught to be fearful, it's not the same word for fear that would be in this moment, like you're terrorized, (laughs) you're really afraid. The fear of the Lord is a word that is much more like reverence, respect, Go back to that, I I think, one of the best and most commonly used descriptors of God is God as Father. It's not the only thing that God is, but it is one of them that makes God more accessible because we can all relate to Father, whether it's your own father or if you are a father, then you can say, okay, this is something I understand, and that is God to us. That's why we pray God the Father, and that's a good thing. It's not the only way that we should understand God, though. But think of that, that descriptor, that metaphor about God in relation to fear. When you're very young, your father, even if your father isn't the biggest man on the planet, or most physically fit, if you're talking about a little child your father is physically stronger than you are by far. Your father can hurt you if he wanted to. Now, thankfully, in the vast majority of times, that doesn't happen because love is is what that relationship needs to be all about. Sadly, there are moments where fathers become abusive to their own children. And so it goes from a respect as you're growing up and seeing what your father can do. And honestly, as a little boy or a little girl, aren't you kind of in awe of your, of your dad or even your mom? Wow, look at what they can do. Wow, one day I want to be like them. And, that, and that's a good, healthy, a sign of a good, healthy re- father-child relationship, mother-child relationship, when your little boy or little girl sees you in that way when they're young. And, of course, that changes somewhat as you grow, and that's normal human development. You understand that, well, they're not that special in that way that I saw them when I was six, because every adult can do that. But when you're little, that's all you see. This is the the adult that you see every day. And so there is a respect for mom or dad just because, wow, look at them. But when it turns into a fear, a terrorizing fear, then something's gone really wrong. When we see God, do we see the loving Father that we are in awe of that is way stronger than we are, but is, is gentle toward us, or do we see the Father who is anything but loving and even abusive? And that's why that father image of God, although important, can't be the only one because not everyone has a positive image of father. And that's where the the distinction between a healthy fear of the Lord versus a terrorizing fear of God is important to understand that difference. So what about this other story? Go to Matthew chapter 14 This is also written about in the other Gospels, but only Matthew points out this one important element that uh, we see here, and that's what Peter does in this story. And You might be familiar with this story. So let's go to Matthew 14, beginning at verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So notice already the difference The first story, Jesus is on the boat with them. This time, he's sending them without him. After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. The boat was already considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the winds were against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him "'Walking on the lake, they were terrified. "'It's a ghost,' they said, and they cried out in fear.'" Now, remember that, that thought of, of the, that teaching, that, un, that belief that the, this was the place of the dead, the ocean, and there is a, what they thought to be a ghost. So that, that connects there. Continuing at 27. "'But Jesus immediately said to them, "'Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. "'Lord, if it's you,' Peter replied,' Tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and began to sink, and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when he climbed up into the boat, the wind died down, And those who were on the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So there's a fear that this could be some aberration, some kind of a ghost. There's a fear of of the wind by Peter. While it's first an amazing step of faith on his part, and God honored that faith with giving him this, this impossible ability to walk on water, he now... Looks around instead of ahead at Jesus, he sees the waves, he sees um, what the wind is doing. It specifically says the wind and what the wind's doing, and that's when he begins to sink. And then Jesus helps him, and he gets back up on the boat. And like the other story, then everything calms down. But look at the difference at the end this is important. Instead of fear of Jesus, it's worship of Jesus. In the first story, he was, they looked at him and said, who on earth is this, this, they're, they're scared. Now, he walked in the water, he comes to them, he stops, the Peter's okay, he stops the storm. And what do they do? They worship. So my question then between these two stories is, what happened in between these two storms that would affect the heart and mind and and souls even of the disciples that they have this different reaction, the most important of which is at the end. They're looking at Jesus in fear and even in terror in the first story. And in the second story, they're praising him, they're worshiping him, and they're proclaiming, yes, you are the son of God. In Mark... And in in the Gospel of Mark, the the first story comes in the fourth chapter, and the second one comes in the sixth. So it wasn't that long between them, but there was a, a fair number of things that happened between these two events. Among them, the demoniac in Gerasenes, which is that really freaky story of a man who was living in a cemetery basically and the whole town was terrorized because he was he was demon possessed and as he was approached by Jesus and Jesus told, demanded, commanded the demon to tell me your name. The demon said, my name is Legion because there are 2,000 of us in here which would be the size of a legion, give or take. And there was a Roman garrison nearby. And so legion would be a word that the people would understand and perhaps those people that suffered greatly, more greatly at the hands of the Roman in their past. And there's the cemetery, possibly the bodies of, of the people who were you know, tortured in, and to death by the Romans. And so there's this demon named legion. And Jesus calls him out and he sends the, the demon into a herd of pigs and they go down a hill and die. And, and, and there's so much in that story we could say, but... Here you have the, an obvious fear of, uh, of demon and this presence and this power. And the cemetery—it it, it would make a pretty creepy movie if you showed everything very graphically. Even, even with the pigs dying, I mean, come on, this is this is hard. But then, what happens at the end is really interesting. The town is afraid of, of course, this 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 man and what he's doing. But when Jesus comes, and it says the man is now in his right mind, in his right senses, he's okay, and the demons are gone. They look at Jesus, and they're afraid. And they told him to leave. Because the fear they had before, they knew the limits of it. They knew as as terrible as it was to have to live with this man up there in the hills around the cemetery, they, they kind of got used to it after a while and they, they were able to avoid him and they any any terrible fear you can get used to it after a while, as horrible as it is. And so it was not really under their control but it was within their understanding. Here comes this teacher, this rabbi that gets rid of that presence in this man and and that's God. but we can't control him we don't understand him no this is too much we got to get him out of here now the disciples saw all of this okay just keep that in mind and then there was a, a miracles that kind of happened simultaneously or at least in the same event there there was a, a synagogue leader named Jairus and his daughter was very ill and, and he He searched for Jesus, said, please, Lord, come to my home. My daughter is sick and dying. And Jesus said, yes, I'll go to your home. And then on the way to the home, there's a woman who was suffering from bleeding for for pretty much all of her life. And there's nothing she could do about it. And when you were bleeding like that, that made you unceremoniously clean and unclean, ceremoniously unclean, excuse me. And, and so she couldn't participate at the temple, and her family would shun her, and she was an outcast among her own people for something she couldn't control. And she found Jesus and, and touched the just his, his cloak, and that was her faith, and she was healed. And then he continues on the way and goes to Jairus' house, and, and they received word that she was dead, the little girl, and he said, well, I guess you don't have to bother now. He said, no, she's not dead. She's asleep. And he went in there and, and brought the girl back to life. Or out of unconsciousness, whatever it really was. Peter, James, and John went into the room with him. So all the disciples witnessed this. And in that, those two stories... You had a fear of death, of course. This little girl, no, Lord, don't let this happen. Save my little girl. And then you have a fear of life because this woman was living in this existence where she just wanted to get better. And even tells us in the the story that she used all the money she had to go to all the doctors. Nobody could do anything. And she was afraid to live like that. And Jesus overcame both of those fears in in these events and the disciples saw this. And then Jesus, this might be the most important part of this, what happens in between these two seafaring stories. You have the disciples being sent out two by two all over the region to do what he did. And he gave them power and authority to, 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 to teach and, and go together and even to perform the miracles they saw him doing of healing and, and casting out demons and and wow and they came back and they told the stories and to one another and they praised God for what God enabled them to do they were just willing servants and then John the Baptist is executed and this had to hit Jesus and the disciples at a very deep level but especially Jesus remember he's human this was his, his cousin that he probably played with from the time he could remember. They grew up together quite literally. They were close. And they were both called to a particular purpose, of course, and sent there by God miraculously. Both births were miraculous. Him and John the Baptist. But he's killed. At the human level, what did that do to Jesus? Well, he had to go off and pray. And that's probably the reason he wasn't joining them on the boat. Because he just needed time alone. To just wrap his mind and his heart around the death. It was a big loss. And then there was a feeding of the 5,000 of course. Where there's a provision made for all these people. From just one little boy's lunch. To feeding 5,000 plus people miraculously. The disciples experienced all of this, and and other things too, between the two storms. So they saw the, the, the conquering of fears by Jesus the Christ, the fear of demons, and the fear of Him, because they didn't have to be afraid anymore. That fear that they had in the first storm story was beginning to wane, beginning to evaporate, that unhealthy fear of Jesus. The fear of death, the fear of life, living in, caught in a life that no one would want to live in. And then the confidence that he gave them and experiencing loss together and the provision he gave not just for them but for thousands all in one day. What can happen in the in-between in your life in the storms that you face? You ever felt like things are happening again or here I go again. Here comes another storm, another challenge. You get through that and somehow you manage, hopefully in faith and support of others and love, you manage to move on with your life, put the pieces together, whatever it might be. And then comes another storm. we have a tendency and i say we just in terms of <clears throat> humanity human nature when life settles down again we can quickly forget the lessons learned we can quickly forget how hopefully close you got to god in that time and he to, he, he to you he's always there we we forget but when things are going well <clears throat> We can leave God behind. Don't do that. Take advantage of the lessons around you every day and that prepares you for the inevitable arrival of another storm. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. So don't think that you get through the latest challenge and you're never going to have to suffer again. You're never going to have to have pain again. That'll be the experience of heaven. But in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, He has overcome the world. And if you want to see that overcoming, if you want to not be a victim again of fear, why are you afraid? Then learn the lessons around you. Be inspired by how others have trusted Christ to overcome fear. Trust Jesus with your life and with your death. I shared that uh, I just almost exactly a year ago as I was facing thyroid cancer, not knowing what it was going to be, not knowing the, the prognosis at first and how bad it might be, and I trusted God with my death. Now, ultimately, death is up to Him, but I was basically handing over to Him what is His already. And I said, Lord, if this is my time, okay. And He gave me such great peace about that. And um, so... Trust Jesus with, and if your life is a struggle, then trust Him with it. Asking Him to help you through it, but trusting Him in even the depths, even the difficulties. Serve Christ. The disciples were sent out to to do the work of God in their world, and that will build confidence in you. We need confidence. We can't take on anything without confidence. Face loss and let it teach you. Don't run from it. Take it head on this church knows loss in the last several years and, and we, we continue to support one another I, I love what Lori shared about their friend who there was a loss there and, and the people that have remembered him by being together and facing that together um, let it teach you and then believe that God will provide just like he did for those 5,000 people for that lunch that day God provides for us Let's pray together. Jesus, I ask now that you'd help us to have that confidence to help us to learn in between the storms that we face and whatever storms we might have just been through or maybe are starting to, to brew in the distance and we see the darkness coming. May we turn to you and to your love and to not let fear win the day.